Welcome to Ventures Dialogue Radio. I am your host, SM Games, and today I have a very special guest. Joining us today is award-winning author, Scott Alexander Hess. Thank you so much for joining us today. And love the glasses, by the way. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank I'm you. thrilled to be here. I just want to tell you that this book is fabulous. Thank you. I read it in 24 hours, cover to cover. Beautiful book. Thank you. I wanted to just ask you, your novel just pulled me in. Mm -hmm. Literally, I could not stop turning the page. I resonated with almost all the characters. And what I really loved about your book is it's for everybody. It's for forbidden love that might be LGBTQ or interracial or different social classes. This book is for everyone. It doesn't matter what your background is. And that's what I loved about it the most. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. What was the inspiration for this novel? Right. Well, and thank you for wearing my t-shirt. Yes. um, which has all six of my books on it. When you buy a book, you get a t-shirt. But um, yeah, I mean, my the inspiration was a story um, from my mother who, um, bless her, she passed last year, but um, about, but actually about my father's father. So my grandfather, a little of family, um, family folklore of our grandfather who uh, left Germany and came with a goal when he was very young to get to the St. Louis World's Fair. St. Louis in 1904 was a much bigger, more flourishing city. And he really wanted to get over to the World's Fair. Um, And then he was going to continue on to Chicago, but he didn't. He went to the fair. He met uh, my grandmother, Emma, who's in the book, who you Mm -hmm. had mentioned you love. And, um, and then they, that was the beginning, you know, they, they, they fell in love, they got married, they had a family. So that was the germ of the, the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. And then this particular book, um, who knows how inspiration works. Once a novel starts living within me, it just kind of starts to live and breathe and move. And I live with it and it takes on a, a life of its own. So um, I, I just started getting connected to, well, what about his son? What about the next son? And I wanted three generations. So You've got the 1900s, then you've got the 50s, then you've got, mm-hmm. I took it up to about like the 80s. Um, and, you know, and you mentioned like it's for everybody, which um, my books always have a gay character, an LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. um, storyline, but they also always have heterosexual and, and you know, a, a wide variety of, of humanity and human experience. Um because that's what the world is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love when people, this book has actually gotten a slightly broader audience because I think it, um, the generations and the, the different types of people and, the, and everything feels more open to readers. But right. I've had a lot of um, people reach out and none of my novels, this is my sixth book that's come out, but none of them really... I always just see them as stories that happen to have one gay character, two gay characters and some straight, mm-hmm. gay, you know, all this sort of thing. Um, but this one has seemed to broadened out a bit where um, people are seeing it as, as a novel, you know, that happens yeah. to have a variety of types. So yeah, I went all off there on that first question, but yeah, there <laughs> so, it is, inspiration. Yes. Now circling back to Emma, Emma, mm-hmm. I, 
I love Emma. Right. <laughs> I liked how she could see into the future. Emma had right. a gift. Mm-hmm. And I think my grandmother also, Emma, had a gift. I loved her for what she could see, the right. feelings that she could see, what's going to happen in the future. And I love Bud for how strong he was. He went through so much mm-hmm. and he still had the strength to just keep going, to keep moving. Right. And I resonated with them. What characters in this book did you resonate with, with the most? Um, well, you know, I did love little Emma. Um, so the root of everything is the generational stories and Emma's uh, the soothsaying grandmother. Mm-hmm. And then lightning, it, Bud is the farm boy um, mm-hmm. who um, in 1917 and, and it's in a blizzard and so forth. But um, I did connect I mean the root of everything also is a to me is a happier story uh some of my novels can uh, get a little dark a little violent the butcher's sons is set in hell's kitchen new york city in the 1930s um so they can be a little darker a little edgier and i really enjoyed writing the story uh uh richard and emma they were my happy couple in the book yes. And she, I only had glimpses of my grandmother, but she was a, a little pixie who ran around and and I was like five or something. So very limited before she passed on. But that character um, amidst, because the characters do face um, tragedy. They, they face loss and challenges. Right. And But she's like this bright, spry energy. And of the three couples, you've got, um, the grandfather, the father, and his wife, that does not go so well. And then mm-hmm. um, the gay character, and that does go pretty well, although he runs into some tragedy too. Yes. But she's consistently through the book like this bright spirit. Um, so I, I really did connect to her also. Looping back to characters from the, the first book, mm-hmm. Stanford. Mm-hmm. And Stanford was in love with, I believe, Bo. Right. Mm-hmm. Stanford knew from the moment, I don't want to give any spoilers out <laughs> just in yeah. case people didn't read it, but there was a situation where Stanford came to the rescue right. for Bo. Mm-hmm. And he knew during that situation mm-hmm. that he had these feelings for him. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the second book, Lightning, I believe it was um, Bud. Right. Mm-hmm. And he had, he didn't really let jerky know how he felt about him until he was getting ready to go wherever he was going to go yeah right yeah what age now that was a different time and era for today what age do you think it's with the current climate is Mm -hmm. it safe for someone to come out well you know I want to touch on also I'll talk about when when it's safe to come out but Mm -hmm. I I like that you pointed that out about the two characters because um, being, um, you know, a young gay man and everyone's experience can be so different. And I have had both. So um, Stanford, when he's 12, 13, and he's rescuing this young, other young man in the water, and it summons these like early sensual feelings and and Mm -hmm. so forth. Like, he, I wanted a character that really owned and knew who he was and went boldly through the world. And because I've had those moments, but I've also had Bud, it's 1918, it's rural Arkansas. There are no figures that 
um, you know, that he can look up to. He, so I've also had that experience earlier in my gay life where I think way underneath, I knew like, hey, I'm gay, but it was so buried that it didn't, its little voice was like, help, help. And it didn't come through. So right. I was bud in that, and that it would be not, my mind was not able to acknowledge or wrap around it. So that's Bud's experience, but mm -hmm. I'm glad, you know, I like to bring all those perspectives and in my life, I've, I've had touches of all of them. Um, now people coming out now, I mean, I would hope it's such a weird world, right? But I mean, mm -hmm. I would hope that young gay people would be able to express themselves right with support and and whatever that support is whether it's family or the lgbtq center or mm -hmm. but as they feel and experience they express and then they explore um but it, it you know we we have such um divided country that right now you know when i go to rural uh, the rural south you know like uh, to a bookstore to sell a book or do a tour I still, I, you know, I may not wear this outfit or sometimes I'll mm. go to a bookstore and I'll wear pearls because I love pearls. Um, I still would not, I'm still frightened in that, in, in today's world. So, I, you know, I think it's hard to say when or how someone should come out because you have to feel that some, that either that bravery and that courage or that sense of self and that experience varies so much now because um, it's hard to do it on your own. You know, if you're living in a deeply conservative area uh, and you, mm -hmm. let's say you're experiencing feeling things, but it to just boldly come through and, and be who you are might take longer, you know? Um, yeah. And that kind of leads me to, into my next question mm -hmm. about Emma's relationship with Stanford. Mm -hmm. And to me, even though that was a different era, she loved him unconditionally. She right. didn't, she didn't care. It's right. like she knew how he felt. Right. Like she could feel the love that he had just flowing through his veins. Right, right. And Emma was more, I think it's because Emma was more spiritual mm -hmm. rather than religious. Right. Which leading to you, the experiences that you have down South right. in the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. How do you think that religion plays a part today for people in the community? Um, well, you know, I think, and also that, that unconditional love, that sense of loving and like love is what love is. I did experience that in my young life with my granny Bush, like mm -hmm. another um, champion in my early life. Um, and I have seen that and witnessed that um, in, you say religion versus spiritual, um, and sometimes it's just the heart of the human being, um, mm. because I have seen deeply religious people, but in maybe a religion that does not, um, condone, you know, like that has issues with like maybe who I am or what I do, but I've seen big hearted people who have had open arms, I mean, now at the same time, mm -hmm. they may be like, ooh, but I couldn't come. We got married. Woo! A couple of years ago, me and my husband. Hi, Marcos. Um, <laughs> and there were people who like are, had a lot of love, 
but we're like, oh, but I can't attend a gay wedding. Um, so I think it's, it, and then there, of course, there are deeply conservative people who are just like, burn him at the stake. Right. Um, but that, you know, I don't really think religion or any religion or any journey or spirituality, I'm writing a book now set in Delhi, and I'm learning about different spiritual experiences in, um, in India. Um, so uh, to me, like everything can be beautiful and open and from the heart, but it can also go another direction where it's, it's constricting, you know? So I, I've seen that open heart in many different types of religions, but then I have also seen how the religion, I guess it's the dogma or the ideology that will also keep someone at a distance, you know, because when someone says to me, oh, I'm so happy for you, but I can't come to your wedding. You know, it took me a while to like, I'm still a little pissed at that person. And <laughs> it, it, I, I was, you know, first I was just like, I don't know if we can curse, but yes, you may. <laughs> it's like, well, screw you. And I'm never coming to one of your parties. It's like, <laughs> you're off my list, bitch. But then this person would um, still send Christmas cards or like say, oh, come visit and this and that. And I'm like, I've got to take a deep breath and see that we're all just human beings doing our best. Oh my God. You're you know, much better like, than me. I hope right? <laughs> No, but the, I, I don't know. I tried, I tried to understand different points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a journey, right? Because it's like, wait a minute, why are you inviting me to your house? And, but you can't it, it come to my wedding and, you know, anyway, but it's, it's varied. So let's just all keep an open heart. <laughs> right. And we are on the, on the topic of, um, of same sex relationships and marriages mm-hmm. right. when they were forbidden not too long ago. How do you think that era impacted today's society though? Uh, you know, when it was forbidden, you mean? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I just did, I was part of a documentary film um, in St. Louis, which is about uh, being gay in St. Louis in earlier eras and then how it impacts today. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I when I grew up, uh, it was a dream, a pipe dream to think that I could ever get married. You know, it just it was an impossibility in my yeah. mind. Um, so the fact that it happened, it I'm from a generation where I'm still kind of like pinching myself and saying, wait, is is this real? Right. Um, but I hope I also do see, though, how our culture and our world not everywhere, but, you know, it is legal to get married. And I see mm-hmm. like young celebs and, um, oh, I followed Tom Daly, the sexy swimmer. And he's like, woo, we're getting married. You know, like <laughs> younger people who don't, I hope they know their history and the history of the LGBT uh, struggle, but also right. that freedom of like, oh gosh, I just turned 18. I went to, with my boyfriend to the prom and we're getting married in two years. Like they're just having a, an experience of what exists now. So, you know, I always hope people know the struggles of the past, but I also, I'm so, I'm so happy and cheered on to see like, wow, that is great that you, it's just natural to be like, oh, hey, we're getting married. Let's get that wedding planner. Um, That that's just in their 
life experience, that's what they see. And so they see it as like, oh, that's just, that's open to us. What do you think about the, do you think there today with all the advancements, do you think there's, what do you think about the laws? Do you think that there's enough being done? Because I read sometimes where there are some wedding venues, they don't, they're like, we're not doing it and they don't care if they're sued. Right, right. So do you think there's a little bit more work to be done to get everybody on board? Uh, Well, yes, yes. It's a tiny step. And then there's blockades and the, the, the political environment we're in now is you know, for me in many ways, a scary thing. I mean, yeah, I try to, I, I hope in, in my novels, in my books, I always try to represent whatever era it is, like the, the continuing struggles. Like when I wrote about the book in the thirties, the one of the three, two of the brothers were straight. One was like, uh, very, very flawed. I, I don't, sh- I don't shy away from writing flawed characters Mm-hmm. Um, evil people are just people that are, uh, you know, I don't know, just struggle with life. So the one brother was kind of violent and got into crime. And then, but there's one young gay man. And it's like, what is that struggle of coming out or falling in love in 1930 in New York City? And then I'll write about today and like, how does the struggle continue? So I think um, it's again, like, I have a double reaction because my first one is that screw you and I hope your cake factory burns down. <laughs> but, but I feel so lucky that I live, you live in New York, right? Yes. Yeah, I live in New York City. So I have this kind of bubble of like, oh, I have all these options. When we did our mm-hmm. wedding, it was like, yay. Um, right. So I have the the privilege of being here and having all these choices. But I know if I lived in Mississippi, I may face that that cake maker who says, no, we won't put two men on the top of the cake. Get out. Right. I, you know, I'm that like my first reaction is always like, oh, so angry. Um, Yeah, me too. Yeah, but, you know, then I tried, I hope I, my, my, like, advocacy, I guess, is in my writing. That's what Mm -hmm. I do. I write these books, and I get to live in these little worlds and write these books, but I hope, um, like, this latest one, Root of Everything, has, he's more of an empowered gay man, Um, and so I do, I always want to have some of my gay characters that go through um, challenges and face problems and then often they come out um they come out pretty good yeah I mean at least they come out they may be hated or this or in that but they come out and they are um they are living and they are full individuals and they are in love or look you know that it's like they are full people so um I I do I think that's part of my way of expressing and exploring and also showing that yes the world can still be crazy but mm-hmm. um there are ways to to face challenges and and still be that full person that you are you know yes yes I wanted to ask you <laughs> it's okay if you don't want to reveal this yet the ending of the book without any spoilers. Uh-huh. Please tell me 
there will be a follow-up so the audience can know what happened. And I want to learn more about Gert. I want to learn more about the discipline. You mean the, the lightning book? Yeah. Yes. The very it, ending right. before he went, he saw, he said goodbye to whoever right. he had to say goodbye to. And right. then there's a new chapter beginning for it, that right. character. You know, interesting that um, I do like how I ended it. Like he mm-hmm. had to make a choice and he veered towards something. And it's kind of like open, like yes. this is going to be his journey. But the truth around that is that was a novel. It was called The Jockey. And mm-hmm. uh, he, there was a whole second half and that book still exists um, where he goes to New York, becomes a jockey that like, there's this whole second half. But what happened was um, that was one of the books I had not published. Mm-hmm. And when the root of everything came out and it was a novella, which is harder to sell and publish, um, they wanted a second novella are some stories and I love the root of everything. I'm like, I have to get this book. out. instead dedicated to my mom who passed last year. I'm like, this book has got to get out there. Also, mm-hmm. you know, to my, my I teach fiction. I, I meant I work with writers and I'm always like, if you want it, you've got to bust your ass to get it. Like, you know, yes. you have got to decide the book is going to come out. And so I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? And so what I did was I took the jockey and I turned it into a novella. And I shaped it so it had a a stronger LGBTQ angle and it was a little more coming of age and I shaped it into a shorter piece. Um, So that's kind of the story behind how that, because people have said to me like, Mm -hmm. oh gosh, can't, isn't there more? Yes. I was like, I'm like, no, this can't be the last page. (laughs) I mean, it. There could. I kind of wanted it to end with that open, like, "Wow, where will he go next?" But right. uh, who knows? I also the butcher sons. People, many people have said, "Where's the sequel?" So those are yeah. on my list, like the sequel to that, and maybe um, a, a, a sequel to to Lightning. Are because there's this whole second half of the story that is mm-hmm. is out there. So you know. Yeah, I'm going to have to rally for you to uh, I'm going to have to get the the troops together to rally for a second follow up. Right, right. So your novels are mostly set in historical setting. How much research went into writing that? Because those are a couple of things that you wrote about. I had my phone open. I'm like, let me Google that. How do you do it? How do you do it? Um. You know, it varies, but um, what I do as a writer is I research as I go. Um, mm. uh, Cause I, I write, I mean, like I said, I teach and I mentor people and a big part of writing is diving in, letting it be flawed and messy, letting it have a life. And you just keep going till two years later, you have this big messy draft of a book. And right. I always, I don't stop and do research. I keep writing and then I'll research a little over here for something I'm working on, or I'll make a note of like, come back to research this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't bog myself down, but it is constant research because I've written, uh, well, my book, The River Runs Red, that was the hardest one because it was set in 1890 in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of research. Um, 
the when I wrote in the 30s or I write in different periods, I do get a feeling for things and I make sure I have the facts. But even in a historical period, um, it it's you know you get into the characters and the mood and the conflicts and mm-hmm. that's the main thing. And then these other things are around it. Um, and sometimes it is, especially for my gay characters, it's like, wait, what was possible? And what were these big obstacles? Like I had that young man and I wanted him to go looking for love. I wanted to meet someone. So I had to do all this research about cruising, basically. You know, it's yeah. like, there's no like um, grinder and Tinder. You know, it's like, what do you right. do in the 30s? <laughs> so I had to find, and there were these area, these docks in Brooklyn and the sailors and they were like, that took a while. And I had to like, and there's not as much information um, right. that is available. So I had to dig in a little more, but um, you know, it's part of the process. And luckily we have the internet now, so we can find so much yeah, stuff. It's much faster. Like I said, I was, I was on my phone. Right. I'm like, what is, where is this? What does this mean? Looking things up. Exactly. So you wrote an award-winning short film. It's called Tom in America. Right. How different is that? Was that experience from writing a novel? Is the creative process how is the different? Is the creative process with that? It is. It's very different. Very different. Um, I had done. I'd written as a journalist and a little short fiction, but I decided to write screenplays. So I wrote like three screenplays. Um, it's a very different process. It's very visual, obviously dialogue heavy. Um, and I also, you can write things and then the, the collaboration of the director or another writer or, you know, things will just get changed radically. Yeah. Um, and that led me to the, my MFA program at the new school. Um, which really changed my life because I went in, you know, a few screenplays, this and that, and I fell in love with the form of the novel. Uh, the, we read a novel a week. I learned about prose writing, descriptive writing. Um, you know, like the first time I read Cormac McCarthy, he's one of my favorites, Blood Meridian, and just the beauty of language. And I love the landscape of like, oh my God, I can rest in this landscape and spend a few hundred pages telling this story and going all over and it that's the form I really liked so I was like I've never looked back I've I've lost interest in these other forms and I'm Mm -hmm. I really love the form of the novel um and so that that it's a very different form and it to me it really connected and gave me this freedom and also I fell in love with descriptive language and setting and moods and sensuality and all that comes into my writing and that's you know where I landed that's like that's where I want to be so thank you so I we've come to the part where I wanted to ask you um tips for Mm -hmm. for aspiring authors and you know I try to write a little bit I'm not as good as you I I put it down maybe one day I'll revisit it but like you said it's hard once you put it down Mm-hmm. And it's out of sight, out of mind. So hopefully I, well, after reading your book, I'm motivated to go back and start writing again. Like, absolutely, I have to. I mean, you know, I teach a class of first draft where people come in and they have 10 weeks and they're like, I just want to see how far I can get. 
with like writing this novella or this novel. And one thing I ask them to do is I say, first, mostly there's so much um, uh, like unneeded mystery and challenge around writing. It's really not so complicated. You Mm -hmm. sit down, you write, you let it be flawed. You've got to let your work be um, not so good. Let it be flawed and keep going and do not, in our class, we never, we don't go backward. We only write forward. I tell them, make your writing a priority for 10 weeks, like beyond, like put it above, make it a ridiculous priority. Like it's my biggest priority over paying the rent and, you know, and and, uh, taking care of my kids or, you know, it's like really prioritize it and see how that feels. Um, And then really digging in and uh, finding your comfortable process. Uh, I don't necessarily like books that say do it this way or do it that way mm-hmm. because I'll read a book and I don't do it that way. And I'm like, oh heck, that's not me. Um, I heard yeah. Mary Gateskill, who, who's a great writer. She wrote, um, oh, uh, uh, Two Girls Fat and Thin, um, it, it, a lot of good books. And she said, someone asked her about writing and the, she said, well, you know, when I'm writing well, I'm writing well. When I'm not, I'm not. And it comes and goes. And she's like, but I just stay with it. And I loved that because I'm like, oh, I don't have to be perfect. I have to keep the writer's life alive. It's got to always be present and I have to stay with it. But I have to find what works in my life, you know, because a lot of people have more, they have three jobs like me. Mm-hmm. And um, so you you find what is keeping the, the life of the the book and the priority of the book alive and you find your way and your rhythm um and that's what works um and it's simple keep it simple what do you think about um i think it's NaNoWriMo that they have a similar process but they want you to do your books in 30 days and that's actually how i did my last book i like you said i kept writing writing i didn't care about punctuation i didn't care if the chapters were mixed up i just wrote and then at the end I ended up switching things around right so it's kind of I guess like just to push because you just have to keep writing which I haven't done right well and you finished that right Did you I finished finish it book? in 30 Woo! days <laughs> Did you celebrate yes oh, I had good. wine <laughs> Yay! I always say you've got to celebrate well that's that is a great I know of that month and that's a great kickstart to be like mm-hmm. wow I'm gonna do this but I mean writing's a lot like diets are the gym are any of those things that it's like I think I have a capacity for this I want to do it um, and any good kickstart is wonderful but then it's got to be a, a, a part of your life like this is who I am. This is, there are five parts of me and this is one of them. Whether people love it or hate it, whether I want to do it or I don't, whether it's like, it just exists. And then you keep showing up for it and you get to know yourself as a writer. Um, And it's, so it's not like a boom, a crash thing. It's, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's like when they say change, don't diet, just change a particular eating habit. Um, And also read, like reading is so inspiring yeah. and so important. <laughs> so I never am without a novel. I'm always reading. Um, and it if I'm not writing, I'm reading. And reading always leads me back to writing. 
So I, I read yeah. constantly. And if I'm in a dry spell, it inspires me and suddenly I have an idea and then I'm back at my own work. It's funny that you say that because I'm so, this is going to sound really strange. I'm so superstitious that when I try to write, I don't read anyone else's books because I don't want to be influenced and I don't want to copy them. So that's why I don't read. And then I'm like, you know what? I got lucky the first couple of times with the books, but, and I haven't written in a long time. But again, after I read your book, it just, I've, I've started again. Right. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very, very, I've heard that often also that people say, Oh no, I'm not going to read anything because it'll influence. And yes. I, I don't think that's true. Um, I think we can be inspired. We yeah. also can use like, if we see a rhythm of a sentence or a particular thing, we can say, Hey, I'm going to try that in my story. It will still be your voice and your story and your imprint, but maybe you were in, I'm inspired all the time. Like, I mean, my book, the root of everything is nonlinear, right? It's not mm-hmm. in order. I that is my favorite style of writing. Actually, I decided to do that because I read someone that did that. So, um, in, in, you know, we did an exercise once in my MFA where it's called um, mimic the master. And they have you literally read a paragraph or two of a favorite author and then continue writing the next two paragraphs as if you were that author trying to mimic their style. I did that with Stephen King's Carrie. Oh, nice. That's how I did the part when there was like dialogue where there was a news report about what happened in the town. And I kind of patterned something in my book about that. You're a genius. (laughs) You are. It's it's all part of learning and inspiration and sharing. And it's always going to be yours, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of those, People have all these little, uh, there's this book called The War of Art, a little short book about creation and writing. And he calls it all different forms of resistance. Um, Like all these things we come up with, he calls them all resistance, but either I can't do this or I can't do that, or it's got to be an hour. I have to be here. And it's all this, this malarkey that is, it really doesn't matter. You know, it's just different ways we're stopping ourselves. Um, It's like, I always say too, to my students, it's like, if you're thinking about writing more than you're writing, then stop it. Just start (laughs) writing. It's like, stop thinking. Is there a strategy for getting an agent, a literary agent, or do we really need one now in the days of self-publishing and social media and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok to get your stuff out there? Like, do we really need to send cold call transcripts to literary agents anymore? Well, yeah, it's great to have an agent. Um, Agents open doors, agents get bigger deals, agents guide you, agents are a champion for your work. It's so hard Um, to get one though. No, it is hard. Um, The away, some there are lots of different, it's great to be thinking about that. In my writing classes, I always bring up, we're going to think about agents and publishing and this and that, and people hate it, but yes. it's good to think about it early. Cause it's like, wait a minute, what do I want? Do I want um, money, fame, adjust my work out there? Like, what do I actually want and how do other people get there? Um, so it, you want to reflect on that because there's also 
uh, networking. There are uh, workshops, there are conferences, there are, I know someone who got an agent and she was only a third way into her book um, because wow. she was good at networking, getting out there and, and, you know, so every, I don't like that. I wish I did, yeah. but I tend to like <laughs> want to hole up and write um, if I, but that is like, there are many ways to get connected and get closer to more people so that you're not cold pitching as many. Mm. Um, but it also is part of the journey that if you've got a book and you're like, you know what, I really want an agent, then you may have to send out 50 or a hundred, um, pitches and get rejections. And, but you can also do a lot of research, um, Mm -hmm. where you really think about, I'm working with someone now where I said, really think about who that agent is and are they really interested in publishing books similar to yours? Like really similar right. to you. And are you they really... have different genres that they handle. Each yeah. agent has a specific so, you know, category. Take your time with that. And, and it's better to send three really good pitches to like, wow, this is a good match for this person. I follow them on social media. I see what they're doing. Let me try pitching them. Then to like, boom, send out 20 because it feels like, ooh, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but also you brought up like self-publishing and um, I publish with small presses and independent presses, mm-hmm. which you don't need an agent. Um, you right. pitch and, and then they have to buy your work, but um, there's a lot of great small presses that uh, put out some really great work. Um, even sometimes people with an agent then end up with a small press uh, or a medium-sized press. Uh, I, the only caution I have about self-publishing mm-hmm. is the marketing. I mean, first, it's hard. you want to make sure your work is edited and really it's best it can be so that it does go through an editing and a, a process of, of other eyes on your work. Mm-hmm. Um, but once the book is out there, um, I've seen people obviously do great with self-publishing, yeah. but they either understand marketing are they able to bring someone on that understands it and can get their book in the right places so that it can sell or maybe get a great review or something mm-hmm. like that? There was a rumor a while ago that I used to hear that once you self-publish, that agents would just turn their noses up at you. What do you think about that? Is that what your what you've heard through the grapevine? <laughs> no, I, I don't really. Th- I think if you self-publish a book and it sells a million copies, then the agents are going to come knocking. Mm. Um, it, it's just, it's about the quality that you put out and, um, and what happens. Um, you know, if, so no, I think a while back before, um, you know, social media exploded so much and, and mm-hmm. there are successful self-publishing stories that, yeah, maybe in the past it would have been like, they called it, uh, you know, vanity, um, presses and yes, vanity and presses. Yes. Yes. But that, I don't think that's quite as true because, um, I also read about how some people have had an agent gotten really successful and then went on to do their own self-publishing. I mean, Virginia Woolf, the famous Virginia Woolf, I had read, created her own press and published some of her own work. Um, I mean, you know, she was famous and a genius and everything, but Mm -hmm. there's so many ways to go at it. It's like, 
knowing as an author your intention, who you want to reach, how you want to reach them. Uh, the trickiest part, as I said, with self-publishing is that do you have the support to know that you're putting out your best quality? And then are you able to get it to the readers, like to market it and get it and get it out there? And that is the hard part. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely the hard, that's the hard um, part. part. What do you think is some of the biggest mistakes that new writers make when they're writing? Like, what are the mistakes that you think? Uh, you know, I think <laughs> judging themselves, um, uh, setting really high standards, um, all this like malarkey, I keep saying of, of like, I got to do it this way. I got to do it like this person. Um really just not doing the work uh, and learning to trust your own process Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, finding the support, like having a class or a writing group or, and just starting to own who you are as a writer, because I've known, I've worked with hundreds of people. And one of the biggest things is they start and quit. Um, Yeah. Or, and I hear over and over and over, like, well, I don't really know from a writer and, and, if I should even be doing this. And it's yeah, like, it's it discouraging. It does. Like, <laughs> well, you are, if you're putting pen to paper and yeah. then you are a writer, you're, you are doing it and you need to understand and own that and be at peace with that. And that's the first step to being like, okay. I, I remember when I first had this little card made like Scott Hess. Oh, there it is. Yay. Yes. And my little logo. And at the beginning, it's like, gosh, can I do that? Can I, you know, especially before I published and or someone at a party says, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, can I say I'm a writer? And yes. you know, like, <laughs> I would do 20, that too. That's 20 strange. years ago, I, I would be like, and now, of course, you know, it's not just that I publish that is important because we want people to read our work, mm-hmm. but it's gaining that ownership and knowing what you're doing and like, yeah, I'm a writer. I'm writing. That's what yeah. I do. I so. got to own it. I, I just downplay everything. I, right. I do. I Which do. is you should read the art, the, the war of art, because that's a form of resistance where mm-hmm. we stop ourselves um, and we really don't need to. I'm going to read that. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Here's a big one. This is kind of like my question that sometimes, and we might've touched on it earlier tips for writing writer's block like you're sitting here and nothing comes out and then right. day one passes then day two and then a week then a month and then like me years has that ever happened to you and if so what do you do to to get over that right. hurdle of writer's block what do you do right. well you know i i did a radio interview in st louis and during the interview i said i don't believe in writer's block and that was like the headline in 10 different places because people were like, oh, how dare he say that? And I'm like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that one. But I, I do believe in the struggle, but I, 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 I think that if we sit down and allow ourselves to let something come through, mm-hmm. um, it will happen. And, but the, I do believe in perfectionism. I do believe in our inner critic who wants to stop us, but I don't believe when we, and I do believe in, Hey, maybe I don't have an idea right now. Um, But there can always writing can happen. And there are exercises. There are ways, if you're sitting there and you've got an hour 
and you're staring at that screen, um, you can simply just start writing. Um, you can, and it may, it, the hard part is again, that resistance that says, what, wait, what if this isn't the book I write? And what if I don't write the right yeah. thing? And that's, that is the, that perfectionism stopping us, but we can simply write. And I've had so many experiences where I just started writing and then I was into the second chapter. I'm like, oh, here's the book. And I throw that mm. all away. I'm like, oh, I've discovered it, but I discover it through the process. I don't discover it through walking away and saying, oh, there's that writer's block and oh, well, I'm going to yeah. go eat a cheeseburger. Um, it's like, it's kind of like, pushing that aside and kind of just letting the process happen um, and letting it be flawed. And then you will have words on the page. And it's been my experience. Once those words are on the page, if you stay with it, it will start to get you somewhere. Um, And then also the reading that, you know, if I'm like, I can't write today, then I pick up that book and read, um, you know, whatever I'm reading the power of the dog now um I read Annie Prulick's if I said that right postcards which is an Mm -hmm. amazing book someone compared the root of everything to her so of course I had to read her and she ends up um is you know she's kind of famous and has this great many books she uh she got the Pulitzer for the shipping news which was a book Mm -hmm. um but uh, you know I was wildly inspired um so all those things is there a certain type of time of day that you write? Like with me, it's like, if I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I want to write, I write. If it's six o'clock in the morning, if it's in the middle of doing something, I stop and I'm old school. Mm -hmm. So I write with pen and paper still. Sometimes I can't read my own writing, but I figure it out. So is there a certain time of the day that you write? Um, I kind of let go of that because I did used to always luck to write in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'm a morning person. I'm up early. Um, so it was like morning. And I would say to myself, I cannot write after four o'clock. I cannot write at night. Um, I'm always taking notes and jotting things down and putting them in mm-hmm. my phone. But I actually taught a class where we wrote for an hour in class from like 830 to 930 at night. And I said to myself, look at you, Mr. Teacher Man. And here you learned <laughs> something that you just wrote some great stuff and it's 10 at night. So you can no longer yeah. say, um, I can't do it at this or that. It's like, that's my own right. resistance. So now I make, I'm actually on a new, I'm always changing things. So my mm-hmm. new challenge with this book I'm writing, I've been like, you got to do 30 minutes a day. Cause through the holidays and everything, I really lost track. And I'm like, yeah, wait a minute, what's going on? So I'm like, you got to do something for 30 minutes a day, whenever that 30 minutes is. So it can be mm. anytime. It can be like lunch break or um, four o'clock. My husband's like, let's go for coffee. And I'll be like, okay, one 30 minutes and I'm there. Um, so mm-hmm. that, that time zone thing I've let go of um, because even if, oh, sure, I love to do it in the morning and feel more connected, which is great. Mm-hmm. But if I don't have the morning, then it can happen at eight o'clock at night. Um, and it's fine, you know. Which comes first when you're writing the plot or the characters? <laughs> um, I guess, strangely enough, usually the plot, um, the story, the idea. Um, 
but then when I end up writing, it's much more led by the characters. They take charge. And sometimes I'll lose track of the plot. I'll, I'll be a hundred pages in. And I'm like, Oh Lord, where is this headed? Like, wait, why am I even writing? <laughs> yes, yes. The character will take over, but it's usually um, an idea, like maybe not a full plot, but an idea of like, oh, I, I think like my latest one. I don't even know why I haven't started. It's called Drought, but I'm like, I think there's this like this kind of heavy set man that's alone and inherits this uh, farm. And it's summer and it's going to be a drought. And, and suddenly all these little, this little story came forward. Um, and I made a note because I've got two books to finish before I get to that one. But I know once I'm there, then who knows where it will go because the characters will come to life and they'll help shape the fullness of the plot. Um, Wait a but, minute. You, you write multiple books at one time? Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing a book right now while we talk. I could, I could never. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm writing a, um, I am writing a book right now set in Delhi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do do one project at a time, but I have a book I finished last year that I wanted to sit aside and come back to, to revise. Um, and then mm-hmm. I do often get new ideas that I jot down the ideas and the story and the, um, often on my phone because I use that it's just easy in the notepad um but that so that little book um my writing group's always like what are you doing but that book has already started to come to life because it's just starting to build like oh the drought he's going to meet this guy at the sonic and so I jot Mm -hmm. down those notes but I can't dive in and start writing it which I'd like to because I it would be too distracting I've tried that and um, I've got to center in on the book I'm, I'm living with and really finish that book um, before I let myself go to the next one. Um, right. And yeah, so I, I have multiples, but they're in different stages. So, um, and sometimes I let a book sit when I finished it. So I have a better perspective. Mm-hmm. And then I go back to that finished draft of a book uh, six months later and say, now I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to read it and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to see like, well, now what have I done? And because revision is a huge part of the process. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the most important part. Sometimes like when I was writing chapters, I end up going and I'm like, no, she wouldn't say that. Or that character wouldn't say that. So I would even like switch out names and, and different right. like states and mm-hmm. cities. Right. Right. So if you don't mind, um, I did have two questions from the audience that um, came in. Oh, sure. Um, the first one is from my friend, Alex. <laughs> and Alex um, asked what, I, I guess it's like a, a, a multi-part question. Um, okay. What's your take on representation in your writing? Is it better in your mind to slip into characters with marginalized identities as almost incidental to the story or is it necessary to place those identities front and center? And that's from my friend, Alex. Right. Um, I've done both. Um, I think both can be compelling in the story, but Mm -hmm. they also, for me as a writer, it is the story. It is this, 
these characters that kind of take on a life of their own, they're almost like a muse within me, within the context of where I place them. Like, is it 1930? Is it, where are we in the world? Um, and then I let them kind of guide it forward. And sometimes like if they're marginalized or, or what that journey is really becomes key to the story. Like in the butcher mm-hmm. sons, the young brother who wants to come out and, and, it's really difficult. He has an illicit love affair with a a friend of his other brother. And so that's like, it is forefront because that's his whole challenging conflict through the book and not wanting to be caught or anything violent to happen. And then there'll be another character where like Stanford in the root of everything, where it's a different time period. And he, I wanted this character to be very, at peace with himself, like you mentioned, like it from an early age, he kind of knew what he wanted and who he was. And so it could be more secondary because he owned who he was early and it just kind of, it drove him through his life. And he was a little more of a, of a hunter too, of like, I am who I am and I'm going to find what I want. Like there's in the root of everything. He has that little affair with the um, manager of the, the, warehouse a timber warehouse or something so he's not I didn't see that coming though I did not see that coming (laughs) (laughs) he he he's not he's a little more at one with it and it his journey that pushes forward is a little less about his sexuality it's just more about who he is as a person yeah they're both valid yeah okay and then the second question I have is from Ronnie the question is, do you have any fears of running afoul of the, of the current hysteria around cancel culture? Mm. And has any of your work ever been targeted in schools or elsewhere? Um, you know, I do consider, I don't think it's been targeted. Um, mm-hmm. It has state by state has been viewed in different ways. Like um, mm-hmm. I do write, um, scenes of sensuality um and i have found in certain parts of the country that will be kind of a big deal which Mm -hmm. i I was a little shocked like um you write men having sex with men are (laughs) this racy trigger novel and i'm like i I was kind of like what like wait a minute what year are we in and and it's my straight characters are having sex you didn't mention yes that's like um, and it's like, well, it's re- and my sex scenes are not <laughs> really that graphic. They're a little more, they're sensual. They're, they're yeah. they, you know, they can get a little spicy, but, um, so there's that. Um, but, um, the, the, the cancel culture, I can't really, um, as a writer, I can't allow myself to, or I don't allow myself to, to, I have to go into a secret world where I'm writing this book and nothing else exists. So I can't worry too much about um, if I have a flawed character that might say the wrong thing, because people have argued with me where they're like, that character shouldn't say that. And I'm like, yes, well, he's a very flawed, mean, angry man. And it's 1930. And that is what he is going to say. So I can't, turn him into something less human um, because we'd rather not have him say something that, you know, it's like, 
So I, I did sometimes I've had people go at me like and say, eh, you know, and it's like, well, I don't yeah. And but I try to I try to show the truth of humanity and not make a judgment on that. Let me, even if there's a villain and I've written a few villains um, or if they do things that people, wow, that's really evil. Um, that's because that's their journey. That is who they are. And I don't have to agree or disagree with it, you know? Right. Um, so I am so, so happy that you answered the question that way, because one book that I wrote, I struggled and I actually censored myself with some of the mm-hmm. characters. I went back in and I said, this is going to offend this person in my family, or this is going to offend that person or a friend. And now I'm beating myself up, but I'm glad that we're having this conversation because you, you are giving me the courage for the next book to just say right. what the hell I want to say. Yeah. Well, that's all we can bring to our books is who we are and yeah. our vision and what we see in humanity is flawed. And we just, we bring it, to, that's what we bring, you know, and we can only bring what we have. So it's, it, you know, it's, it just is what it is. Um, and my, you know, I was so blessed that my mom who passed away last year at 95. Read, oh, wow. 95. Bless her heart. 95. Almost, almost all my books. Oh my God. And, um, she was very smart. She was a writer. She was a reader. She was a wonderful lady. Yay, Mary Alice. Um, but I sometimes was worried, like, there'd be a, a sex scene or, you know, you read the root of everything when he meets mm-hmm. that young guy and they like go to a hotel room and they're rolling around. Yeah. And, and I'm like, you know, I wonder if I'll offend my 95 year old mother. And no, she's a smart reader who's read everything. And she was always just like, Oh, I enjoyed the book. This was nice. That was nice. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, good. So it was good to have um, that support too, because I'm like, if I would go to the radio and they'd be like, Ooh, this spicy scene. I'm like, listen, if my 95 year old mom can has no problem with it, I think you're it's yeah. going to be fine. You know, you don't have to put a trigger warning on the front of the book. Yeah. I find the older generation because my grandmother, Emma was the same when she read my first one and it had a lot of sexual parts in it and she said oh my god baby it hurts my eyes but I enjoyed it (laughs) oh good good for her and she was from South Carolina so yeah so we're coming to the close of the interview Mm -hmm. but if if you have time I want to do a a quick 60 second lightning round with you of quick questions (laughs) okay Okay. what is a secret to being a successful writer creativity intellect or luck creativity good awesome oh are you fluent in german no because i was with the google machine (laughs) with the translation i had to look that up yeah yeah okay but german is english isn't that kind of like from german like at least like 26 percent you know i'm not sure but i mean i have german roots within me and Strangely, I two of my books were translated into German. Oh wow! Um, which they found some of the words like, seem wonder, similar. Yeah, yeah, and they wanted they translated it. Yeah, so nice. Do you think everyone has a sixth sense? I do, but you may not be aware of it. Right, I do. I think we all have that capacity, but like you can feel something in your bones isn't right. Yes. 
was there ever a time when you felt like you wanted to quit writing? Um, gosh, um, yes and no. Um, no, I don't think ever, but there were long periods where I lost faith in myself mm. um, and went through some rocky times. So I think there was always a tiny part of myself that's like, you will never stop writing. Um, but it, it was a tiny voice and there were bigger voices that were like, that, you know, just, uh, oh, what's the point and quit. And yeah. so I, I don't think I ever, I never really gave it up, but there, there were rocky times where it was like, you know, that I had to rebuild that faith in myself and, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, me too. If you could spend one day with any of the characters from your book, who would you choose and why? Um, from the root of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I, you know what? I think I would choose Josie. I first thought Emma because she's so much fun. But Josie um, is Stanford's mother, which is yes. not my mother. But there are pieces of her that I took from my mother's story and then imagined. And it would have been my mother at a much younger age. Um, and what I kind of imagined she might have been like. Um, so that would be fun to um, to sit down and have coffee with Josie. Like, yeah, um, Josie was an awesome character. I liked her too. Yeah, she yeah. was just like, look, I'm, this is what I'm doing. And I'm right. I'm okay. done. <laughs> I'm out. Get out of the way. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So where can people go to purchase your books? Um, well, Amazon, of course, just Google Scott Alexander Hess and they will mm-hmm. pop up. Um, my website, scottalexanderhess.com. Um, most anywhere online, like Barnes and Noble, and everybody has uh, the, the Kindles are out there. Um, mm-hmm. My current uh, publisher for the root of everything is um, Rebel Satori. So, of course, on that website. But um, I always just tell people if you look up my name, Scott Alexander Hess, everything um, comes up your website. Up, yeah, because I stuck the Alexander in there because then when you Google that, you'll see me first. Um, there's a lot of Scott Hesses, but there aren't that many Scott Alexander Hess. So, um, yeah, a very dashing name. I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this. I'm thrilled. Of course. I'm so happy you said yes. All right. I will talk soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. If this is your first time joining, welcome to Vintage Dialogue Radio, and thank you for listening. And if you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so that you never miss a thing. What topics do you want to talk about in the future? I'm sure you have plenty of questions for my guests. So don't forget to drop a comment, ask a question, and leave a review. You never know. I could actually call upon you to be a special guest on my show. All of the information about this episode is in the description box, along with an email and links to my blog, website, and more. Thanks again for joining me. Until next time.